keep up them tones, you know. And I'm gonna crack a damn bone. Tell it to me, he's out with you. During the last 60 years, Jamaican popular music has constantly reinvented itself. Its innovators have created distinct musical genres, ska, rocksteady, reggae, and dancehall, as well as short-lived subgenres like rockers and flyers. But Jamaica's musical trendsetters did much more than just shake up the island's music scene. Over and over again, their ideas have impacted popular music around the world, tech rap itself. It came into being via the DJ style and stimulating remix culture of dub music. Hello, Georges Collinet with you on Afropop Worldwide from PRX. In today's program, we salute three towering giants who independently and collectively have changed the musical landscape several times over. The hit-making producer Bunny Striker Lee, known as The Gorgon, the DJ daddy and sound system owner Uroy, known as the originator, and the legendary engineer and sound system proprietor King Tubby, known as the dub master. They were unstoppable creative forces in their own rights and exceptional collaborators. The song we are hearing now is Roy Shelley's Rocksteady Gem, Music Field, a beautiful number and a sizable hit recorded at Bunny Lee's first session. Since our musical heroes in this program are no longer with us, producer David Katz brings us archive interviews he conducted in Jamaica and elsewhere to illuminate their stories. Of mixed African, Irish, and Chinese heritage, Edward O'Sullivan Lee was born in 1941 and raised in the West Kingston ghetto of Greenwich Farm. The son of a shoemaker, he was the first of ten children, though four of his siblings died in their infancy. Such was the harshness of their impoverished circumstances. Beginning his working life selling car parts at a Kingston garage, Lee was a popular dancer who developed a sideline as a record plugger for Jamaica's leading music producers in the mid-1960s, helping their work gain exposure on the weekly teenage dance party show on radio station JBC, which is why Duke Reed gave him a free session at his Treasure Isle recording studio. When I start now, I started doing my thing in 1967, but because I was a plugger for Joe Gibbs and Cox and Kenlock, call him Calton and Joke. That's how Joke did give me the studio time, that's how I started on. When the record them come out, I used to collect record from Joke Reed, Cox and um, Leslie Kong and carry them at the radio station and get them plugged. So, you know, we had a teenage dance party and we vote a hit or a miss if it's a hit. Take your friend them for vote for this one and it get power play right through the week till it catch on. You understand? <laughs> Thank you. 
began producing at the tail end of Jamaica's brief rock-steady phase. In 1968, the new reggae style came storming in as a faster-paced dance music. Bunny produced Stranger Call and Lester Sterling's Bangarang. He said the organ shuffle defined it as the first reggae record. serious hits with the Uniques, and greater success with solo work by Pat Kelly and Slim Smith, whose monster smash, Everybody Needs Love, adapted a Temptations track from Motown. These early hits were boosted by Lee's weekly radio show, sponsored by Vincent Chin of Randy's Records. Here comes Rowan Advances in multi-track technology allowed rhythm tracks to be reused for different purpose. The so-called version phenomenon began when the vocals of a previous recording were removed to make way for an overdubbed organ or saxophone. You can hear it on Roland Alfonso's version of Everybody Needs Love, titled 1,000 Tons of Megaton. from a whole new jack by his brother-in-law, Derek Morgan, for Max Romeo's risque wet dream. The song became a spectacular hit in England, spending 26 weeks in the British pop charts, despite being banned by the BBC for its lewd lyrics. Every night we go to sleep, we have a dream. Jailhouse keeps empty 
Although Bunny emphasized that the smaller upstart producers, like himself, Lee Scratch Perry, Joe Gibbs, and Rupi Edwards, made maximal use of their more popular rhythms, it's worth noting that Clement Dodd was the first to experiment with the form at Studio One. The song we're hearing now is Jailhouse, a 1966 single by Bob Marley and the Wailers, and the rhythm track was reused by Dodd for Roy Richards' harmonica instrumental titled Green Collie. Meanwhile, a few select DJs who had been making an impact on sound systems were also beginning to appear on records. In the evolving Jamaican sound system culture of the 50s and 60s, the selectors who put records on the turntable began making jive-talking wisecracks between discs, alleviating dead airtime with thrilling rhymes and improvised promotional jingles for upcoming events. Count Machuki was the pioneer of the forum, who based his delivery on the Hepcat slang of African-American radio announcers, such as the mayor of Harlem, Dr. Jive, New Orleans' Dr. Daddio, and perhaps most importantly, Jocko Henderson, the ace from outer space. And in addition to drawing on the artistry of such black American hepcats, Machuki and peers like Sir Lord Comic, King Stit, and Cool Sticky also began spicing up records with their wordless vocal peps. They were using their mouths in a percussive fashion in a distinctly Jamaican manner, predating the beatbox craze that later became a key component of hip-hop culture. Here's an example that comes at the opening of the Scatolites' Guns of Navarone. The great Wooga Wooga with all Ruga. Now that you hit the scene, you got to be real keen and be no jolly bean. So Lord Comic comes to be spinning real clean from his record machine. But many of the early Jamaican DJ records were not particularly integrated. The DJs merely delivered their rhymes in an incidental fashion, just as they did with sound systems. That is, until Uroy came to prominence in the late 1960s with a far more fluid style. The gift of God is eternal life. And because you don't have no sense, that's why you deal with violence. Thank you. 
Beckford in 1942, Uroy was raised by his grandmother in a strict Seventh-day Adventist household in underprivileged Jonestown. That's a West Kingston slum that borders the more famous Trenchtown. In an interview conducted at the Reggae University of the Rototom Sunsplash Festival, which is held in Benicassim, Spain, Uroy said he began toasting during his teens while acting as a selector for a local sound system, based just a few streets from his home. There was my friend around the road that had a sound system by the name of Dr. Dickies. I was like about 14 years old. So sometime I would ask my grandmother if I could go to the dance and select our DJ, you know? And sometimes she would say, well, yes. Another time she would say, hey, go find a book and read that type what you want to go dance, you know? But see now, if my grandmother ever go to sleep, then I gonna go to dance because that is why I love the most. Yeah, so that's how I started anything. Count Machuki was Uroy's chief role model, though he developed a style that was very much his own. I used to love Count Machuki a lot, because to me, was the most intelligent DJ to talk over a sound system microphone, because he doesn't crowd the music, he doesn't crowd the singer, he would just say a couple words, and between the singer or between the instruments, so you know, you hear everybody just clear and plain. After an extended run on Dr. Dickey's, Uroy shifted to Sir George the Atomic, run by a local printer, and reached a turning point when he was recruited by King Tubby's hometown Hi-Fi, based some miles further west at the headquarters of an enigmatic electronics technician in Waterhouse, Kingston 11. When things change for me is when I start playing King Tubby's, because I start to get my ratings from people at the time. Born Osborne Ruddock in 1941, King Tubby spent his formative years around High Holborn Street in South Central Kingston. His father was a carpenter. The family moved to Waterhouse in the mid-1950s, seeking upward mobility. Sound system owner Mikey Faith was there. Tubby born in the heart of the ghetto, you know, down, down south, you know, Fleet Street, High Holborn Street, Gold Street area. Barry Street, that's where Tommy come from. And then after his mother moved to the Waterhouse, we are there. Renowned for his electronics expertise, Tubby was entirely self-taught. His modic hurt did not refer to his waistline. Instead, according to the DJ, producer, and reggae historian known as Mandingo, Tubby's nickname stemmed from his mother's veneration of William Tubman. Tubman was a descendant of freed slaves who was elected president of Liberia in 1944. The producer and sound system owner King Jammy was mentored by Tubby in his youth. He says that Uroy was reluctant to make the switch to Tubby's camp. King Tubby's hometown hi-fi, that was the original name. First time we didn't have any prominent DJs like we didn't name. But a guy used to select name Skiwi, and another guy used to do the talking, then Uroy came along. Well, at that time, you know, Uroy didn't have a name as a recording artist. He was popular on the sound system in the western sector of Kingston. And at the time he was DJing for a sound named Dickie's Dynamic. And 
Tobbies and myself went and checked him and asked him if he can come and DJ the sound. So you I said, check my back, man, you know. So Tobbies is not a man who love up front and things, you know what I mean? So he sent me. I used to ride one of his bikes, like a Honda 50. So we used to go down a turnstone and hang out down there and the whole day be down there with Uri and Uri smoke him chalice. We know we did a talk and, you know, till one day Uri said, look, we go check him out. You know me? And I tore him on the bike and we went up to Tubby's and them talk and um, Uri decided to go on his own. Being on Hometown Hi-Fi granted Uri greater exposure allowing him to hone his skills before a larger audience with the latest Jamaican hits. Yeah, King Tommy's play a lot of Cox's music, Jukeweed music, all type of different music, but was mostly rock steady at the time. And so we play a lot of Melodians, John Holt. At the time, a selector could be also the DJ, because when I start playing Tubby's, I would have my dub plate here, and I read my invitation so well. Next week, Saturday night, I'll release to 21 Penn Street and you'll be dancing to King Tubby's Hi-Fi and stuff like that, you know? And I put my record on and say a couple of things over the mic and the people would be happy and dancing. Jamie says Uroy's style was greatly different to that of his predecessors. Yeah, Uroy was a different type of DJ from Machuki. Machuki was like a, a talker. Periodically, he would come in and sell like a thing and break again and wooga wooga, great wooga wooga with old sugar, you know, got going there and stop. But Uroy used to just introduce the thing and just DJ right through. Uroy was a different type of DJ. Was more a modern DJ than Kurt Machuki then. Dennis Howard currently runs the Institute of Cultural Policy and Innovation in Kingston. He says that Uroy's presence on Hometown Hi-Fi helped make the DJ an essential element of all serious sound systems. It was just toasting first, back in the day with Machuki and King State and all them. Them just said some nice things and bigger people. And then all of a sudden Uroy came about and DJing became the big thing. Uroy used to DJ on Hometown Hi-Fi and then everybody had a DJ. And then by the 70s, all of the root sound had DJs on them. And by 80s, it was still the big thing to have DJs on those kinds of sounds. he often serviced the machines at top recording studios, including Duke Reed's Treasure Isle and Clement Dodd's Studio One, Tubby had access to exclusive mixes, which he cut on acetates or dub plates to help give his sound system an edge on the competition, as Jamie recalls. In Tubby's days now, it was different. What we used to do now, like Coxon or Duke Reed, when they are recording, they used to take more than one take. So one sound different than the other one. So the one that is released, Tubbies now would get the other one that wasn't released and play that one. So 
that was an exclusive cut. So that's how the exclusivity would come in. I remember an instrumental that Tom McCook and, and the Super Science did name, Inez, that instrumental. That was an exclusive tune. King Tubbies and Jammies used to play that for a long while before any other sound got that and dubbed it. Bunny Lee often spoke of a legendary incident that took place one evening at Treasure Island. He and Tubby were there. The sound system owner, Ruddy Redwood, was getting an acetate cut of a Paragon's track for exclusive use on his sound system. Engineer Baron Smith left the voice out by mistake, and the wordless version caused a sensation at the dance that night. Bunny encouraged Tubby to try something similar on his own acetates, leaving space for Uroy's toasting, thus sowing seeds for future innovation. Tubby was with me the evening up to a joke with Shooter, and I said, Tubbs, see the joke business for going up a joke Shooter, you have to do it, you know. Because I go on, we used to say part two. But we do it little clever now. We start it with the voice and drop out the voice. So people used to say, boy, Tubbies make an amp, you can't drop out the voice. And then you bring in the voice back and drop it out again. We do that. And it worked. But you really wrote is from Spanish Town. In the 1960s, Hometown Hi-Fi was a smaller and less powerful sound system than those run by industry titans, such as Duke Reed and Sir Coxon. But Jamie says Tubby was constantly upgrading it, improving the sound with better equipment, some of which was custom-built. Uroy's artistry ultimately helped to expand its reach, so much so that aspiring record producers based downtown soon began approaching him to record, beginning with the sometime dental technician, Keith Hudson. It was uh, Keith Hudson with a song named Dynamic Fashion Way, a version of Ken Booth Old Fashion Way. Now you're now wonderful, surrounded by these brothers of talent, like the man called Val Bennett on tennis saxophone, along with the man, the great producer, Keith Hudson around. Studio kind of real cloudy, like I say. I bring back this musical disc called Dynamic Fashion Way. Third version of the old fashioned way. Get on the groove and don't be rude. So brother, you'll be real cool while I spin musical disc of today. It could be only by special request that I do so. But these songs really didn't get much far because at the time, DJ music was not recognized in my country to no extent. Everything changed when Uroy was summoned to Treasure Isle, after Duke Reed was informed of his talents by John Holt of the Paragons, 
But instead of placing Uroy on current tracks, the Duke recorded him on some rock-steady rhythms that were already a few years old. One time, it seems as if John Holt passed by a dance, hear me playing for King Tubbies, hear me talking over this rhythm, and go back to Duke Creed and tell Duke Creed that, hey, I hear this DJ named UI playing on King Tubbies. You need to talk to this guy. So Tubbies come to me and tell me, hey, Duke Creed want to talk to you, you know, about some business, you know. But I wasn't a man that really fond of Duke Creed because this man used to have his gun, lot of shots over his shoulder, and his shotgun, and his pistol around his rear. So I I used to think this is a form of intimidation and I don't like nobody think them can intimidate me, you know. But anyway, I go to Joe Creed and he say what he want to do, you know. We never have no contracts, we never have no real sense of contract at the time, just some verbal agreements. So I did my first two songs for him was, wait the town and tell the people. And then this station rules the nation with version. Wait the town and tell the people. About the musical list coming your way. With version. So when I do that, I have been hearing these two songs been playing on the radio. But my knowledge is like, this is those two songs that have been playing on the radio. They're not going to go nowhere, really. But then after some weeks, I hear the two songs become number one and number two on the top ten. And at that time, for you to have a song at number one, you have to be selling over 50,000 copies in the country. And then, a few weeks after that, I did Way to the Ball. And it adjusts Way to Town at number two, Rule the Nation at number three, and Way to the Ball stands one. And I have number one, two, and three for six weeks. And I have Way to the Ball at number one for 12 weeks. This must be a blessing from the most high, because I never knew something like this could have ever happened, you know? And until this day, I'm still surprised. By utilizing a fluid toasting style that was far more interactive, his lyrics answering the original vocals that were dropping in and out of the mix, Yu Roy transformed the role of the DJ from an incidental figure on sound systems to a recording and performing artist whose rhymes were as important as that of any singer, yielding his moniker, The Originator. And with hit-making toasters such as Dennis Al Capone, Big Youth, I Roy, Dillinger, and Trinity all drawing from his blueprint in the years to follow, as well as Shabba Ranks, Shaggy, and Sean Paul, U Roy spearheaded a DJ insurgency in Jamaica and ultimately paved the way for the advent of rap in America. Once the pioneering disc jockey, Cool Herc, adapted elements of Jamaican sound system culture for black American audiences in the Bronx, as the producer and singer Derek Harriet suggests. A lot of things derive from a lot of the DJs, and not meaning just a man who spin a disc, but he would do um, what America call rap. 
which is similar, you know. A man that inspired a lot of people, or definitely you, Roy. Coming up, a dub revolution at King Tubby's studio with helping hands from the Gorgon and the Originator. Visit afropop.org to see our playlist for this show. I'm Georges Collinet, and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRX. Music is my occupation. So I'm power station out on vacation to let you know where you've been tuning to the station of a nation. <laughs> All right, we're back with producer and author David Katz, tracing the early history of Jamaican dub music. As the 60s gave way to the 70s, King Tubby's sessions led to dramatic changes. First, he turned his sound system into a powerhouse. He renamed it King Tubby's Sound System. He also changed the Jamaican soundscape by introducing echo and delay. Derek Harriet remembers the awesome power of Tubby's reconfigured sound system. Yeah, it was one of the biggest things in boxes, pile and top of boxes. Wherever he played, the whole area shook because some heavy bass line. He was just one of the best. Dennis Howard agrees that Tubby's sound was unparalleled and says it was partly due to his engineering skills. So, all right, let's start with the, the most important person at the long run, which is the engineer. Because if his system don't sound good, you're dead. People will tell you to lock it off. And if there's a comparison in terms of two sounds in the lawn and you're, you sound crappy, they'll tell you, all right, that's it, done, over. And if you try to turn it on, it might get violent. It's as serious as that. That's how people consider the music and the quality of the music. So if you're playing with Tubbies, don't bother turn on, because Tubbies are the reputation of being the most massive, hard-driving, quality sound around. So hardly anybody plays with King Tubby's back in those days. Tubby had been messing around with recording equipment since 1969. And after Bunny Lee helped him acquire an obsolete MCI mixing desk from Dynamic Sounds, Tubby opened a small voicing and mixing studio at his 18 Dromley Avenue headquarters, where he became the premier exponent of dub. The studio was tiny, with minimal equipment, and was right on the border between two neighborhoods with different political allegiances. Waterhouse was affiliated with the leftist People's National Party and the adjacent Tower Hill aligned with the right-wing Jamaica Labor Party. Though Tubby kept the studio open to everyone, operating a non-partisan safe space amidst the fierce ideological battles. We've been listening to Slim Smith's version of The Temptations Ain't Too Proud to Beg, produced by Bunny Lee. Here comes Uroy's cut, Love I Bring, which replicated on vinyl what Uroy had been doing on King Tubby's sound system. And just as he had done in the sound system dances, once his studio was up and running, King Tubby introduced upfront effects like reverb on tracks he mixed. Check out the beginning of Glenn Brown's 1972 instrumental, Mary Up.
this daughter can't keep up to this rhythm. Ask me no question, I tell no lie. Ask me no question, I play music. In King Tubby's hands, dub allowed for all manner of playfulness, and such was the recognition of his talent that he was soon being credited on 45 B-sides, such as this 1972 cut-up masterpiece, Tubby's in Full Swing. Out of all the stations, this station supply all the popular stations with popular music. Crazy little cat, you think it's this? Watch that. In the early 70s, Jamaica's most creative producers were beating a path to King Tubby's door. Before he opened his fabled Black Ark studio in Washington Gardens, Lee Scratch Perry worked closely with Tubby on some of his most striking work, including a ribald record called Bathroom Skank. Turn on the water and mortar and dig this musical sculpture coming from King Tubby's headquarters. And do the bathroom skank. Come off your tower this hour. And take a musical show up. What did you say? Grab your towel, matter how. Scrub your bowl, scrub your bowl. Uh oh. Uh oh. Young Dillinger saluted Tubby as the dub organizer on one of Perry's 45s. And then, the B-side of Leo Graham's newsflash, titled Flashing Echo, showed Tubby's mastery of drum and bass, with Echo giving dramatic emphasis to vocal fragments.
Lee Perry's groundbreaking Blackboard Jungle dub was one of the first dub albums ever released. Lee Perry conceded that Toby was involved in its creation, though exactly who did what has never been entirely clear. Right, Tobes, take, take this one, sorry. Tubby helped the visionary producer and singer Yabby Yu to get his start and mixed many of his dub B-sides including this conga drum cut of Beware, titled King Tubby's Rock. Stunning dub version of Jacob Miller's Baby I Love You So for producer Augustus Pablo. He titled it King Tubby Meets the Rockers Uptown. Chris Blackwell, head of Island Records, was so impressed that he released the dub version as the A-side. producer, Bunny Lee was the permanent resident who voiced and mixed virtually all his productions at King Tubby's studio. In fact, the singer Cornell Campbell said that Bunny was the man who convinced Tubby that material could be voiced there in the first place, after he brought the rhythm track of Cornell's rendition of Eddie Floyd's I've Never Found a Girl to Tubby's premises. I am the Gaga. 
In a song that spoke of Kingston's vibrant sound system culture, Cornell's The Gorgon gave Bunny Lee his most lasting nickname. And after that, Uroy's Gorgon Wise confirmed his closeness to the producer. And by the way, Bunny had arranged Uroy's first performances in Britain. Well, I went to a dance down a Greenwich farm. King Tubbies and the dreads was there. There was dread, dread, dread and dread, and natty roots everywhere. There was dread, dread, dread and dread, and natty roots everywhere. Similarly, Cornell's Dance in a Greenwich Farm recounted how one of King Tubby's dances was subject to a police raid. Jamie says that hostile police action had been deployed against the sound several times during the 60s and 70s, partly because of its attendant clientele. In those days, you used to have some rude boy for sound system. They have them ratchet and them cut up people and them things, you know. So police used to fight against the dance them. Certain sound, like Tubby's who draw enough crowd, the police don't say, if them go out and dance there, they miss some rude boys, so them target them dance there. You know what I mean? So that's why they used to come and just mash up the dance. Jamie says Tubby rebuilt the sound system only to have it broken up again. It never took no time for build back because I'm only most to chop up the wires and button stick the amplifier front and nothing was wrong with the amplifier. So Tubby just repair again and but on the other occasion now when he was playing at Gold Coast Beach, it was about 67, 68. We went out there and shook up the sound early. When we were on our way going back to dance, we used the police mash up the dance and mash up the amplifier them beyond repair and things like that. They just use brute force and button stick and lick out the valve them and everything like that. So we couldn't play. Jamaica's volatile political situation brought on a time of increased instability. King Tubby's sound system was finally destroyed for good in the mid-70s, as he told the Finnish journalist and publisher Tero Kaski in 1987. Well, unfortunately, get destroyed on, as I said, Easter Sunday 1976 by some police in St. Thomas. According to the police, they say it was um, violating the law by making noise and disorderly with the sound system. So they come in and smash it up, and that was the end of the whole thing. So we rub, we rub, we rub and up to King Tabby's feet. Come 
this terrible destruction happened just as you, Roy, was preparing for extensive overseas tours, having recently signed to Virgin Records. The album Dread in a Babylon, yielding the spectacular hit Chalice in the Palace. Richard Brunson of Virgin Records. He come to Jamaica, he come to my house. So I did Dread in a Babylon and um, Not Terrible, my first two albums for them. I have to big up Virgin Records because they made me really be known worldwide, all over Africa, all over Europe and stuff like that. So I give them their props for that, yes. And I have no idea that today I would be here talking to you about this. Or seeing so much young people in my audience. Trust me, I give Virgin their props for all of these things. By then, Tubby was widely acknowledged as the dub master for his artistry at the mixing desk. Many of his best dubs were made with Bunny Lee's rhythms, Tubby manipulating the MCI's high-pass filter as a signature effect. was the popularity of the work, especially overseas, that producers like Derek Harriet began commissioning dub albums from the King. People started to love the dub, the dub sound, and King Toby was a man for that. His mix was what inspired a lot of us. As a matter of fact, I was one of the persons that released the first two dub albums. One named Scrubber Dub. Most of those things were mixed at Toby and he had more scrub in the dub. But the bass and drum was the main thing about the dub thing. It's worth remembering that King Tubby worked with other engineers in his studio. So, not everything bearing his name was mixed by the King himself. For instance, the album King Tubby's Prophecies of Dub was mixed by Pat Kelly.
variation of dub, also known as King Dubby Meets the Aggravators at Dub Station, was mixed by Philip Smart. And when Jamie returned from Canada in 1976, he became Tubby's right-hand man, mixing the bulk of the work in the studio and cutting some of the hardest dubs to the end of the decade. When I came back, I went straight in the studio, working for people like Bonnelly and Nine, and you occupy 24 hours, you know what I mean? <laughs> you may go to your bed 3 o'clock in the morning and I wake up by 9 o'clock again and you come to the studio. Tubby did not abandon dub mixing entirely. According to Niney the Observer, the King mixed the entire Sledgehammer dub album for him in 1977. Then, the young upstart engineer, scientist, would be the one to take dub into the 1980s at King Tubby's studio. Lad God scientist! So when I do hard, 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 Ain't nobody be like a Heineken function Them lose respect, them lose respect They can step, not to dread, they can step Once his contract with Virgin expired, Uroy focused on his King Sturgav sound system, which became one of the most highly rated sounds of the 1980s. Can't say me never did I warn you Oh Lord, me tell you Whoa, 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 whoa Now it's a good take your Lord of God Pick the shot it a go feed you And in the middle of that decade, Jamaican music was rocked by dramatic changes. Jemmy left Tubby's camp to set up his own studio in another part of Waterhouse, completely changing the focus of Jamaican music with the Casio-driven slang tang. And although Tubby completely rebuilt his studio to finally become a producer in his own right, scoring hits like Anthony Redrose's sound system anthem, Tempo, he remained largely in Jamie's shadow after Slang Tang's success. Yet, he was proud of his former protege, as he made clear to Taro Kasky in 1987. Well, I, I'm very happy for him to, be, to come in the business as so powerful 
Well, one main thing I know is carrying my name along with him as my student. Well, I wish him all the best to keep it up for another five more years. <laughs> I really, I really enjoy him doing it, man. I love that. Interbis, we love you. We'll never forget you. King Tubbies, we love you. We still think. King Tubby's senseless murder took place in February 1989 when he was just 48 years old. Thibaut Erngart presents various theories in his biography of the dub master. Perhaps Dubby was targeted for his licensed firearm. Or maybe it was about a personal rivalry or political association. Bottom line, no one has ever been charged for the killing. Bunny Lee recorded sparsely in the late 80s and early 90s, notably producing Beanie Man's first album when the DJ was still a preteen, but then concentrated on his extensive back catalogue. Noel Hawks' biography, titled Reggae Gone International, and Diggory Kenrick's documentary, I Am the Gorgon, both helped keep Mr. Lee perpetually in the limelight until his death in October 2020 at the age of 79. When I'm talking about the man that lived next door in my neighborhood, all he do with fuss and fight, as I was saying, he fuss in the days and fuss in the night. Beat from the top to the very last drop like I would do. And after a few follow years in Los Angeles, Yu Roy resumed his recording and performing career through a series of popular albums cut with the London-based producer Mad Professor, as well as work voiced in Jamaica and issued in France. Actively touring and recording right up until the end, his final album, Solid Gold, a set of collaborative duets, was released shortly after he died in February 2021 at the age of 78. And still, the music lives on. The innovations of Bunny Lee, Hugh Roy, King Tubby, and Lee Scratch Perry, who died at 85 during the production of this program, have influenced and inspired countless developments in other forms, including rap, house, trap, jungle, garage, drum and bass, dubstep and grime, along with myriad electronic dance music styles. The Gorgon, the originator and the dub master, changed popular music forever, and their creativity has given us much to be thankful for. Long may they reign. Funding for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art, and PRX affiliate stations around the US. And now, more than ever, thank you for supporting your public radio station. 
thanks to Pierre Tosi, Pete Lilly, and Ellen Curlings, David's co-host for the URI session at Rototom's Reggae University, to Sabrina Trovant, artistic director of Rototom Sunsplash, and to Raphael Conart of Positive Thursdays for audio assistance. Thanks also to Seja Kuva, Pekka Vjorinen, and Ray Herford of Small Axe for making available King Tubby's interview with Tero Kaski. Visit afropop.org for more information on reggae and dub, including earlier programs, Ring the Alarm, a history of sound system culture, State of Emergency, reggae reflections on Jamaica's partisan politics, and dub, the medium is the message. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at AfropopWW. If you haven't already, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter and subscribe to our podcast. My Afropop partner is Sean Barlow. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions, research and production for this program by David Katz. Don't forget to join us next week for another edition of Afropop Worldwide. Our chief audio engineer is Michael Jones. This program was mixed at Studio 44 in Brooklyn by Michael Jones. Additional engineering by GC at the Syncopated Lair in Washington, D.C. Banning Air and C.C. Smith edit our website, afropop.org. Our director of new media is Ben Richman. And I'm Georges Collinet. <laughs>